I'd like to uh, bring you all a warm welcome from the People's Republic of Berkeley. I uh, feel when I was listening to Peter Thiel's speech that I am uh, hated enemy number one. I live in Marin County and I love it there. I am a lifelong employee of the California state government and plan on taking my pension to the full and drive the rest of the state into bankruptcy. So I may not be the best person to be at the National Conservatism Conference. Uh, on the other hand, I also feel uh, maybe out of place because I also have been called in the past a neocon. I do have positions at the American Enterprise Institute and the Hoover Institution of which I'm uh, both proud and share their uh, values. Uh, and so I, I came happily to the conference to figure out what is this national conservatism stuff? And does it fit in with uh, the past themes of conservatism of which I've long been a part? I uh, think of myself as a conservative and I've uh, been one ever since I came of age uh, when Ronald Reagan was president. I uh, am a very deep believer in nationalism and the American experiment I uh, even wrote a book that strangely Oxford University Press published saying that uh, globalism was inconsistent with the American Constitution. I highly recommend it. It is available for one cent, used on Amazon. <laughs> Buy as many as you want, hand them out to your friends. Um, also, let me say this is the uh, 21st anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, and I was a Justice Department official at the time of those attacks, and I was very conscious of the fact that to defend our nation, we were not going to rely on international organizations to defend us, that we had to rely and depend on American national strength in cooperation with other nation states, and that was the only way to uh, stop the threat posed by a transnational ideology that sought to attack our country. And so I initially came thinking I had a lot in common uh, with national conservatism. Uh, I'm just not sure how it fits in with the debates that I've long had with my uh, great friend, uh, Hadley Arcas. Uh, you, the, you heard uh, Josh, another great friend, talk about this uh, common good constitutionalism, but that's just, to me, that's just like Hadley Arcs version 2.0. Hadley was there originally 40, 50 years ago making the very same arguments that are supposed to be new today. Um, and so I, I'm, in a way I'm glad to see that uh, the broader conservative movement is wrestling with the questions that Hadley so forcefully has challenged us with for the last half century. Uh, I'm just not sure whether national conservatism, where it falls on the arguments we have about how to interpret the Constitution, but I do think that resolving that is central to uh, this movement. Uh, that I hear referred to at every panel today that you are building. So first, maybe we could discuss where uh, national conservatism and the conservative legal movement agree. It seems to me, based on my reading of the principles of national conservatism, that national conservatives would naturally be uh, originalists. Uh, originalism is this uniquely American approach to interpreting our Constitution, that we are bound by the original understanding of the people who wrote and ratified the Constitution and its amendments, and that we do not have the right to just treat the Constitution as a plastic document that we can just change based on contemporary whim. Uh, it's very much in contrast with, I do think sometimes when I read national conservatism writings and principles, that it is very much, in, uh, very much similar to European conservatism, 
But I think on this respect, it's quite different. Europeans and Asians in our peer countries think of their constitutions as mere instruments. They don't think about the original understanding. You don't hear uh, Germans asking about the original understanding of their constitu constitution. They interpret the language based on just contemporary understandings. So it's not seen as strange. They all of them think that what we do is unusual. But I think this is uniquely American. And uh, I think it's important for national conservatives to ask why uh, they should be, I think, because their natural instinct is to elevate the wisdom of the founders, even though there's so much under attack these days. I think uh, what we can also agree on is that uh, Dobbs is correct in rejecting the kind of progressive activism of the Roe court and the vision that Roe exemplified. It wasn't just in Roe, it's a series of decisions. You could say it culminated in a case we didn't really talk about much uh, in the earlier speakers, but I think uh, what they're saying has obviously a lot of uh, application to this is uh, Obergefell and the question of gay marriage. Um, I think you could say that is sort of the culmination of this vision of the Constitution as being a plastic document to be used for the importation of progressive values through judicial activism. Uh, the, maybe the most uh, famous example of this uh, was in Justice Kennedy's um, opinion interpreting uh, the liberty clause of the 14th Amendment, due, the liberty part of the 14th Amendment's due process clause from which uh, the right to abortion uh, comes, where he basically, uh, Justice Scalia, I think, amongst many conservatives, uh, amusingly called it the sweet mysteries of life passage, where <laughs> Justice Kennedy said, how do you figure out what is, right, the 14th Amendment says the state can't take away your life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So what does that phrase liberty mean? Means Justice Kennedy, I just want to quote it exactly right, in the Casey case that Hadley mentioned said, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Right? If that is what the liberty phrase in our 14th Amendment means, right, then the courts are allowed through their interpretation of the 14th Amendment, basically to legislate for the rest of the country any progressive vision of morality that it wants. And so I think we can all agree that Dobbs is correct, no matter what flavor of originalism we have or what kind of conservative you are, to say that our Constitution does not give a five-justice majority of the Supreme Court the right to use that language to impose their own personal vision of morality on the whole country. I think we can also agree, and this is something Chris DeMuth mentioned also in passing in his introductory remarks to the conference, I think we could probably also agree uh, in criticizing the administrative state. And uh, I, I don't blame you if you hear the phrase administrative state and you leave and walk over to the next breakout conference on transgenderism, which sounds interesting, or the future of conservatism, always a popular panel for conservatives to spend time talking about what we are or are not and our future, which conservatives don't believe in anyway. So what is it when we say we, don't, uh, we oppose the administrative state? I think actually for some of the same reasons that national conservatives are conservatives believe that uh, Dobbs is right and Roe was wrong. Uh, again, you have, I, I think this is the other second great engine of progressivism in our government. If the first one is judicial activism through the courts, the second one is the creation of a body of bureaucrats who are not subject 
to the control of our popular representatives to which the power is delegated to make the fundamental decisions of public policy based on the claim that they are technical experts. If you think both of them are acknowledgments, I think, by progressivism, that normal democracy will not yield the results that they like. And so what they have both sought to do over the last 100 years is to transfer power from parts of the government where we control our representatives to parts of the government that are not accountable, not elected, and essentially without limit in what they can do. I think, so uh, these are just less uh, politically sexy issues and cases, but there have been under the Roberts Court, in addition to Dobbs, at the very same time in a way, a series of decisions where the court has been questioning the fundamentals of this administrative state. Just to make it real, uh, Dr. Fauci, in a way, is the highest expression of the administrative state, right? He said, I am the science. You may remember when a district judge in, Florida, in this state struck down the ma mask mandate, he said, how dare these judges use the Constitution to contradict science, right? That's a perfect expression, I think, of progressivism through the administrative, administrative state. So where do we disagree? And this is, uh, I think this is a debate that I've uh, long had uh, with my friends at the Claremont Institute. They, I, I love the Claremont Institute, as I do all of the, my fellow speakers. I mean, they're all uh, wonderful uh, people. And I, I feel great to be invited by Claremont or maybe here as a kind of a loyal opposition um, who uh, I, I don't think well, the arguments my opponents make are illegitimate. I just happen to disagree with them. I know this is a very unusual attitude to have from Berkeley. I, you know. um, here's the difference I think may best expressed is after Dobbs, could the Supreme Court actually say, and I think this is what I'm reading from Halley's arguments. I think I read Josh also agreeing with him. Could the Supreme Court say that abortion is actually banned throughout the United States? Can the Supreme Court say the word, remember it's the 14th Amendment says life, liberty, or property cannot be taken without due process by the state. Does that word life mean that the Supreme Court can say life begins at conception? Uh, there I disagree with uh, my friends. I don't think that that's consistent with the original understanding. Uh, I do think that that is making the same mistake that our progressive friends make in that they use the courts to advance their moral views at odds with what the democratic process would yield. I think that the great temptation in the wake of Dobbs, I really worry about this, that there's going to be a conservative, almost triumphalism about what we can achieve through the courts. To me, Dobbs is very much a touch and go thing. If, uh, say, the justice I clerked for, Justice Clarence Thomas, as you can tell, he probably would have fired me if I had said these things while I was clerking for him. <laughs> but, because uh, Justice Clarence actually does want to, I think, call for a reevaluation of a lot of Supreme Court decisions based on an understanding that's closer to Hadley and Josh than what I'm saying. But suppose Justice Clarence Thomas had written the majority opinion in Dobbs, and he had said not just that the Supreme Court was wrong in Roe to say there's a constitutional right to abortion, uh, but instead said, there is a constitutional ban on abortion. I don't think you get five votes on the Supreme Court. I think Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Alito, in their opinions, make pretty clear that returning the question to the states for a decision is as far as they were willing to go. Uh, 
I know I respect uh, Hadley's view that this is immoral uh, to let people make this decision. I think, I think of the Constitution as a much more modest document. I don't think it is a moral, as, as uh, infused with morality as he and my other friends might think, that uh, abortion is one of those life and death decisions which our Constitution does commit to the decision of the states. I would hope that my fellow citizens, when they vote and they think about these policies, will do so to reach the best moral outcome they can. But I have a certain, I guess, skepticism of my own self. And I have a certain skepticism, as a conservative, I have a natural skepticism of all theories and of all other people and their motives. I'm not so sure that Hadley's right, however much I respect him, or that Josh is right, however much I have hopes for his future career, which will be snuffed out by being at this conference. <laughs> But I, I really, I don't know that they are right or that I'm right. And so why isn't the Constitution best thought of as a document that just sets up rules for us to decide through democratic, democratic deliberation and persuasion what the policies should be? I uh, recognize that could lead to a diversity of policies in the country. We already have them on life and death. We have different policies in the country about the death penalty. The most serious thing the state can do is take away your life. You commit the same murder in California versus another state, and you can be put to death or not. Euthanasia, another area where we leave the states to make the life and death decision. Suicide. The use of force by the police. You could go on and on. A lot of these life and death decisions are already in the hands of our states. Because our founders, I think, they actually trusted us to make those decisions after good faith democratic deliberation. I just have like three minutes, right? Two minutes. Well, the jokes don't count against my time. <laughs> so so uh, just one last point about Lincoln, because I really, uh, Lincoln, I think, is an important person uh, from whom we should learn. Uh, Lincoln's arguments about slavery, I completely agree with them, and I completely agree with Hadley's reading of them. The question is, which institution is the best one in our, country, in our Constitution to carry them out? It was the slave owners. It was the South that tried to use the Supreme Court to say, we're gonna place a universal definition of human rights on the whole country. And we are going to find, right, that freed slaves can never be full citizens. They were not full human beings under our Constitution. Lincoln is the one who said, we will make our arguments through the existing democratic institutions of our Constitution, right? Lincoln did not call on the Supreme Court to declare slavery over. Lincoln wanted to the Republican Party to win through elections. It was the Democratic Party that seceded because it would not accept the outcome of the 1860 election. And so I would say, yes, Lincoln made the most, some of the most, maybe the most important moral arguments and claims of any president in our history, maybe of any American in our history, along with Martin Luther King. But he did not look to the courts to be the part of government that carried out his vision. He actually relied and had his faith in the American people. And I think that is uh, the argument of Scalia and the argument of Bork and uh, my argument uh, as well. So just to conclude then, how should national conservative think about this? Uh, I would think national conservatives, again, like the idea of originalism. I wanna ask you though, would national conservatives like the idea of a kind of universal natural rights that could come in and affect our interpretation of the Constitution, or would they like better the alternative, which I think is Lincoln's alternative, which is, yes, we have these universal principles of natural right, natural law, 
but they are implemented in our system in a uniquely American way through the Declaration of Independence and then through the Constitution. Uh, so thank you for, uh, very much for bearing with me. Um, I will now escape back across the border to Berkeley and uh, Blue America. It's very, very nice visiting a state which has electricity, everything works. There are, there are police officers, there are McDonald's. I really love my visits to the rest of the country, uh, but unfortunately because I, do, I am a government, a government servant who lives in Marin County, I must return back to the more beautiful part of the land. Thank you very much.